to Luke chapter 3, and we're going to start reading at verse 21. This is God's word. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janna, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsie, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthias, the son of Shimei, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Jonas, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Cosson, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Jose, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elakim, the son of Melah, the son of Menam, the son of Mathath, the son of Nathan, the son of Jess David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arpaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Then, Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, If you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said, Get behind me, Satan, 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Amen. We thank God for his reading, this reading of of his truth. We're going to pray. for God's help to understand it before we hear his word preached. Let's pray. Our God and King, we praise you for your word. We thank you for every jot and tittle, for every I dotted and T crossed. We thank you for this word that has come to us today from Luke's gospel. We pray that you would help us. Oh, how we need the help of your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts so that we may see Jesus and see him for who he is, the Lord and Saviour of mankind. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, the hype of Christmas, as I said at the start of the service, has been and gone. Back in November, I wonder if you can cast your mind back there, we were filled, weren't we, with hope and expectation that Christmas was coming and that Christmas was going to meet all of our needs and fulfill all of our desires. But once again, we have to admit that it didn't. Christmas promised to be a time when we got everything we wanted. And what we discovered is that even when we got everything we want, it didn't satisfy us. There is a longing in each of our hearts which cannot be satisfied by anything in this world. The comedian and actor and multi-millionaire Jim Carrey once said that he wished everyone could have a go at being rich and famous because then they would see that it's not the answer. But I want you to notice that even in that statement, Jim Carrey still believes, maybe deep down, that there is an answer. There is a way to have our longings and our desires met. There's a way for for this world to feel like home. Not a place where we're always a little uncomfortable, a little unsure of ourselves, place where we always desire more and more and more and our desires are never satisfied. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, 
the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So we have desires for something that this world cannot deliver. But friends, if we look at the world around us, why would we expect this world to fulfill our desires? The world's an absolute mess. It's clear from a simple look at the headlines of just the last week, and we could say this any week. There's something wrong with the world. Volcanoes in Iceland, strikes for fair pay in our own country, icy cold weather, a 20-year-old scandal in the post office coming back to the forefront, ships being bombed in the Red Sea, destruction in Gaza. I could go on and on, couldn't I? The world is not as it should be. It's really, really hard to deny what we learnt last week in the Shorter Catechism. The world is fallen. The world is not how it should be. And each one of us was made for something that this world does not supply. So what can we do? How can we address the problems of this world? Well, there are lots of options. We can book that holiday. And we can spend our lives actually in an endless loop of waiting for the next holiday and then going away somewhere and it being just too short or sometimes too long for us. We can never afford to go away enough though, can we? And there's still always something waiting for us when we get home. For every one of us, whether it's on our own lives or in somebody in our family, cancer waits around the corner. We could put our hope then in, in medicine. What about putting our hope in scientific advances? But still, anybody here who is in remission will tell us there's no guarantee that it won't return. And that's just one sickness. You see, if the problem is in the world, then looking inside the world for an answer or a solution or a saviour, well, it's futile. And the cherry on top of this cake, it's not a very appetising cake, but the cherry on top is I think G.K. Chesterton was right. Remember what G.K. Chesterton said, and we looked at it last week? The ultimate problem with the world is me. It's the sin that I carry around with me each and every day. It's you. It's the sin in your heart. The world is fallen, really and truly. And nothing in this world can fix our problem. What we need is a saviour. We need to be rescued by someone from the outside. That's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is a, a quest for a Messiah or a Christ. It's also the story of human history, isn't it? In our longing and desire for something better than this world has to offer. The purpose of our passage today is to show us that the person Luke is writing about, the baby born in Bethlehem, the child circumcised at eight days old, 
the boy who was left behind at the temple at 12, the man who is baptised by John, whose genealogy we read, and who was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, this man, Jesus, he is the one. He is the only one, the only person ever born who is qualified to rescue us from this sinful and fallen world. Jesus is the only one who can fulfill the role of Christ, our Messiah. He's the only one who can take us home. Take us to that place where we will feel satisfied and truly joyful. And this passage is basically Luke giving us Jesus' CV. He's proving to Theophilus and to us that Jesus is uniquely qualified to be the saviour that we need. He does that in three ways, and we're going to look at each one in their turn. In the, the baptism section, he shows us that Jesus is the true son of God. In the genealogy, he shows us that Jesus is the true son of Adam. And then finally, in the temptation, he shows us that Jesus is the true victor over Satan. As I say, we're going to take one at a time. First of all, in the baptism, we see that Jesus is the true son of God. Now, I'm not going to get into the topic of baptism here today. But I should just say that all three of these points in the baptism and in the genealogy and in the temptation, all three are unique to Jesus. The point that Luke wants us to show us is that Jesus is uniquely qualified. He is the only one who is qualified to be Messiah, the true son of God. And so Jesus's baptism is not like our baptisms. This is not a section of the Bible which is about us. It's about Jesus. So what does Luke tell us? Verse 21 of chapter 3. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So the very fact that Jesus was baptised in the same manner as the other people is absolutely remarkable. Think about this. This is a baptism of repentance. You repent of sin. Jesus had no sin, so what could Jesus possibly be repenting of? Well, nothing. And that's kind of the point. He wasn't being baptised to repent of his sins, but what he was doing in baptism was joining with humanity in our sinfulness. Jesus was saying, here I am and I am with you. I am taking on all that you are, even the sin which is so offensive and repulsive to God. Jesus was willing to take it on for our sake and in doing so, what we see here in his baptism is a shadow of the cross where ultimately Jesus bore the punishment for our sin. 
And what happened? Well, like I say, this is a unique baptism. It's not like any other baptism. At the baptism of Jesus, the heaven is opened. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and there is an audible voice from heaven which says, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Jesus is declared by the Father to be the Son of God, come in the flesh into this world. Jesus is the Son that we sang about at the start of the service, the Son of God who is pre-existent before the world, the Son whom all nations and rulers should bow to so that they can be blessed. This is further confirmed by the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, not as a dove, but like a dove. Again, this takes us back to the Old Testament. God's prophets, priests, and kings were anointed as a sign that they were God's chosen servant. And Jesus is confirmed in this moment as the true prophet, the true priest, and the true king. He is the long-awaited Messiah, the rescuer of God's people. God himself come into the world in the person of Jesus to redeem the world for his people. Friends, this is really good news. Jesus is the true son of God and that means he can meet and fulfill all of our desires. The desires that we have that nothing in all of creation can meet that deep down dissatisfaction that we all experience. The desire to feel truly comfortable and at home. The discontent that we feel with the things of this world. All of those can be met in Jesus. Think back to Christmas time. He is wonderful counsellor. Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. All of our needs and desires can be found in him. He is our hope and our joy. In Jesus, God has chosen to bless us with all spiritual blessings. Jesus is the saviour we need. He is the true son of God. Very much connected to this then is what we see in verses 23 to 38. Luke lays out for us the genealogy of Jesus. And unlike Matthew, who takes Jesus' line from Abraham, Luke goes all the way back to Adam. Luke is showing us that Jesus is the true son of Adam. Not only is he God... He is God in the flesh. He is a true and genuine human being. Again, this is really good news. Our first father, Adam, failed to keep the covenant of works. He brought the world into the fall. It's because of Adam that we look around the world and we see death and we see destruction. We see sickness and disease, and corruption, and injustice. It all comes from the fall. Adam's sin has infected the whole world. And so the way the world is comes from him. What we need then is a second Adam. We need another man who can keep the law of God and overturn the results of the fall. 
One who can rescue us into a new humanity. We need Jesus. The true son of Adam, a real and genuine human being. Because as one of us, he can raise us up from the fall. He, he, he can take a fallen humanity and put us back on our feet again. I heard an illustration during the week about this. I found this really helpful. It was, think about Adam as, as someone who is found guilty of a crime in the early 19th century in Britain. But instead of being put to death, they were sent to Australia, convict island, which to the people at the time was a punishment worse than death. Now, their descendants, a couple of hundred years later, are born in Australia. It's through no fault of the child that they are born in Australia. It's the fault of their ancestor. They are born on Convict Island. And so some people might think of the Bible as a story about how people born in Australia can scrimp and can save enough money to get back to Britain. But that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible, and we see it play out in this genealogy in Luke 3, is the story about the king of Britain sending his son to Australia to be an Australian Sending his son into the world to be one of us. Not so that he can bring us back to Britain. But so as the ruler of Australia, he can transform that place into something better than Britain ever was. To make this place, his people, holy and perfect. Just as he is holy and perfect. To make it a, the place that we read about at the end of our Bibles, a place where there are no more tears, no more sickness, no more disease, no more death. What a wonderful hope we have in Jesus, the true son of Adam, a real and genuine human being who will one day bring his kingdom here on earth, even as it is in heaven. What a day. A day when there will be no more cancer. When there will be no more dementia. No more poverty. No more hunger. No more war or hatred. No more bitterness or rivalry. What a day. In his wonderful kingdom. Only Jesus can do this. Because only Jesus is the true son of God. And the true son of Adam. And finally then. Only Jesus can do this because only Jesus can be the true victor over Satan. The last section of our passage, chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, the temptation of Jesus. Again, we're not have time to get into all of the ins and outs of this. But I want you to notice that just as Adam was tested in the garden, and just as Israel were tested in the wilderness, Jesus is tested here by the devil. But in each test, Jesus proves himself to be sinless and to be the true victor over Satan. Jesus alone is the one who submits to God alone, putting the need for God's word ahead of his need for food. Jesus alone is the one who worships God alone. Even when he's offered the whole world, he puts the worship of God first. 
I wonder would we do that? I know that I wouldn't. Jesus alone is the one who rather than testing God, trusts in God alone. These are things that Adam failed to do. They are things that we fail to do, but Jesus has done them for us. He proves himself to be the saviour that we need. He proves himself to be perfectly righteousness and, and it's his righteousness that we need. It's his perfection that we long for. It's because of his perfection given to us that, that we can actually think of the words that are spoken by the Father to the Son at the baptism of Jesus. We can think of those words spoken to us. You can hear God say to you today, you are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. I read a commentary this week and it really resonated with my heart. See if this speaks to you. It says, if you're ever defensive, self-protective, or prone to despair and self-loathing, it is because you desperately want to be perfect, right, and justified. You want to be looked upon and accepted as someone who is lovely and good. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the need to justify yourself before others? That tingle up the back of your neck because people are underestimating you or speaking harshly about you? Ever felt the need to prove yourself? I know I have. Friends, hear the good news of Jesus today. In Christ, you are perfect. You're perfect. You're righteous and you're justified. The God who made the heavens and the earth looks upon you and says, You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. God is pleased in you, if you're his beloved, if you're fully accepted as part of his family, nothing else can touch you. Through Jesus, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Folks, we look around us and we see a world that's in a mess. There's a need, isn't there, for a saviour? That's what we need. Only Jesus can be the saviour that we need. Only Jesus is the true son of God. The true son of the father from all eternity, able to bring the heavenly reality of God's love down to earth. Fulfilling all of the desires for the heavenly realities that we have to be true here on earth. Only Jesus is the true son of Adam. Able to replace Adam as head of the covenant bringing all his people into right relationship with God, succeeding where Adam failed. And only Jesus is the true victor over Satan, the one who can win the battle with Satan and bring us into his perfect righteousness. So that when God looks upon us, he says, you are my beloved, in you I am well pleased. Let me pray for us.